Chris O'Connor here. Join our fabulous curmudgeonly community on Facebook at facebook.com slash group slash curmudgeonrock. Also look out for a Spotify playlist dedicated to this episode. Now, let's get started. This is the Curmudgeon Rock Report, and this is your podcast made by rock geek iconoclastic outsiders for rock geek iconoclastic outsiders. For those of you who lament that rock music has gone the way of jazz and slipped into niche genre status, we are here to keep that flame alive by providing insight, analysis, recommendations, and honest takes, not hot takes. And hey, there's a good chance you'll learn some rock history you never knew before. Well, folks, it's that time of year again. The calendar year is about to come to an end, and yours truly curmudgeons are here to give you each of our picks for the top 10 albums of 2023. To be perfectly honest, it hasn't been the best year when it comes to quality depth of albums. Not only for rock, but it's been a sluggish year for hip-hop, R&B and soul, and even EDM. I, for one, could just barely find 10 albums to whom I would give 4 out of 5 stars or higher. But the high end of the pile has some real quality, with my top pick of the year easily being one of the 5 best albums of the decade so far. Well, in my opinion. As our most loyal listeners know, the Parallel Universe segment of our show is where we give our reviews of new music, and I've been pretty down on plenty of Chris's recommendations this year, so there's bound to be some disagreement when we run down his picks of the year. And yes, you'll definitely disagree with some of mine. So, without further ado, get your pen and paper ready or whatever note-taking app you use on your smartphone, and welcome to the Curmudgeon Rock Report as each of us will give you our picks for the top 10 albums of 2023. Now, Arturo, uh, top 10 lists are really a moment in time, and frankly, they don't... They don't really age well, but we don't care because this is our moment in time and this is where we're at. At the very least, we'll leave everyone here with a lot of homework, right, Arturo? Yeah, I mean, 10 of yours, 10 of mine, and I'm not going to mention names, but there is only, I I believe, two albums yes. that carry over between your list and mine. Yeah, there's only two albums of, of crossover, which, you know, is in, in some ways shocking. Uh, you know, g- give, given our, our relative latitudes and in, in, in tastes and, and what we what we gravitate towards these days. But this will be interesting. I mean, there's a lot of public service uh, to be had here. You know, the, we here at the Curmudgeon Rock Report, uh, we we keep the flame of rock and roll alive. And we say that this is your podcast. And so this is an opportunity for us uh, to be professors. Uh, before we get into the lists, uh, let's do a little bit of an exercise, uh, Arturo. Uh, what was your what would you pick as the worst album of 2023? Yeah, my pick as the worst album was Rolling Stone's pick for the best album. Rolling Stone magazine has basically become (laughs) nothing but a platform to promote mainstream celebrity culture, 
pop entertainment. That's all they are. Yeah, there's no much. edge. There's no edge to any of their musical choices or t- or the tastes. Yeah, of the they, they indulge in the cult of personality for sure. Yeah, it's celebrity culture of uh, pop entertainment now. And so my pick for worst album, just out of spite, is that album by SZA. <laughs> <laughs> She's uh, the R&B singer. And that album actually came out in late of 2022. Yeah, but it but it, it made its uh, its big impact this year uh, in 2023. I think she had two number one hit singles off yeah. that one album alone. Uh, she had Kill Bill and not quite number one. Snooze got to number two, but the album I'm talking about it, it's called SOS. And the reason I don't like it is because it is just, oh, it's just streamlined corporate radio slick smooth faceless shapeless formless non-distinctive derivative r&b soul Um, i mean the the only thing interesting about her is that she dresses casual on stage and oh yeah oh yeah guess what she's a muslim so what her music still sucks (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's, it's really it's, it's really boring it's it's the the lamest blandest kind of r&b and yeah so i'm, I'm just going with that one <laughs> yeah i mean i i agree with you uh relative to uh to blandness i i don't quite get it uh yeah the thing with uh female uh uh african-american r&b is there's really only uh one uh person that's allowed to be singular and that's beyonce the because, same thing goes for male African American R and B. There aren't that many. I mean, yeah, I'm I guess about, I'm talking about like the main, the super mainstream. Yeah, the super there mainstream. There's a lot of there's a lot of good R and B and soul. Yeah, music but the, but there. the, the, there's only like one dude in the mainstream that even comes close to that, which is the weekend, and not really. And he we- sucks my balls. Yes, yeah, yeah, seriously, I, I know, and he doesn't really necessarily count as R and B. He's just black. Uh, <laughs> um, he's a black guy doing indie rock flavored r&b but i don't care i don't care what doesn't matter what ethnicity they are it, yeah. it's, it just, it's just it's just it, they have one thing in common and yeah. they just are just like i boring. said streamlined corporate radio boring flavorless faceless pop music that honestly i i i don't see the shelf life for it i guess the weekend yeah. has one song that people yeah. love that right you know. and yeah and scissor, scissor doesn't seem uh, in five years we won't be talking about scissor uh the yeah. only other re- record yeah you're right i mean the only record that really gave me hope as far as mainstream r&b this year is the one from amaray uh who's uh, eh. uh african uh influenced uh, uh yeah. lady from i heard i heard her record yeah. it didn't impress me either yeah it's, it's better than scissor but yeah, it's it's quirky. It, it's a it's a quirky record. So who knows? Maybe she's got a bright future. But uh, yeah, oh, that's a good pick. Uh, for mine, uh, there were uh, several directions that I could have gone in, but I'm gonna uh, pick. Uh, you know, we I am our resident King Gizzardologist. Uh, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard is uh, one of the more interesting bands, probably the most interesting band in the world. I mean, if you were to uh, if if uh, Negro Modelo was to bring back their campaign. Or Dos Equis. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they'd be the most interesting band in the world. Uh, but that's not, sometimes that's a great thing, as in last year and as in one other instance, which we'll talk about in a bit. But uh, once in a while, they spectacularly misfire. And it's yeah. just like, what the hell were they thinking? And so they did a record uh, late in the year called The Silver Chord, which mm-hmm. they professed. It basically was, hey, let's have fun fucking around with like old school electronic instruments. 
<laughs> and and sound all weird and sci-fi and and you know supposedly concept records that hooks on to another one they did earlier in the year and you know they they did interviews and they said they were influenced by Giorgio Moroder which is like and the album sounds absolutely yeah. nothing like right. Giorgio it's it's it, and I'm like did you guys do you guys know what the fuck you're talking about you sound it's one thing to be pretentious and pompous and have something behind it but yeah. to be pretentious and pompous and like sound totally clueless is yeah. just that's a grave offense and and the album is just garbage uh it just it's just it's painfully you know uh just you know we're we're just noodling on electronic arguments uh, uh, arguments yeah arguments as is it sucks uh <laughs> but you know electronic instruments just for the sake of doing it it's kind of it's 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 a, they've gotten kind of showy i think that they've kind of gotten off on this idea that no one knows what they're coming out with next and yeah. so it's kind of like just for the fans here's our next curveball yeah. and it's too self-conscious and yeah it's, 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 it's too yeah. self-conscious and it's just it, it disappoints me because they've come out you know in this three years that we've been doing the curbudgeon rock report they've come out with some fabulous records yeah. uh but then for every two good records they have one piece of garbage yeah. and uh <laughs> this this is the most garbagey of the garbage of the three years that we've been doing this and so it's yeah. Uh, I encourage everybody out there to listen to the silver cord once just to marvel at how shitty it is. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, I mean, there are a couple of tracks, the, the hard thumping techno tracks, uh, there are a couple of them in the second half, which yeah. kind of, for me, saved the record from being complete utter shower of shit. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. There's a know, couple, and you know, like the, the beginning of the beginning of the record actually has some decent stuff. I mean, the, there's decent beats on it, but yeah. if there's songs. Yeah. Beats. Yes. Songs. No. Uh, I don't, it's just kind of, eh, you know, there's stop not stop rapping. Yeah. Stop, <laughs> stop rapping. The members yeah. of King Gizzard are wonderful musicians. Hip hop is not their thing. No, no. You know, uh, there, there's an old saying, Mark arm from mud honey. When, when he, uh -huh. when he's taking a shit on prog rock and not just prog rock, but just, uh, um, indulgent musicians, show off the yeah. musicians who care more about showing off their technique than yeah. writing good songs. Mark yeah. arm always says this. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> Chris here again. As 2023 comes to a close, we want to take a moment to remember the rock and roll pioneers and legends who passed away this past year. It's a soberingly long list, something that figures to continue as the legacy of the 20th century and its popular music fades away. Here now is a roll call. Jeff Beck, Van Connor, David Crosby, Tom Verlaine, Barrett Strong, Wayne Shorter, Gary Rossington, Harry Belafonte, Burt Bacharach, Gordon Lightfoot, Andy Rourke, Tina Turner, Astrid Gilberto, Jane Birkin, Tony Bennett, Randy Meisner, Sinead O'Connor, Robbie Robertson, Gary Young, Jimmy Buffett, Steve Harwell, Rudolph Isley, Denny Lane, and Shane McGowan. May their light shine on into eternity. Yeah, it, it, it's disappointing, uh, especially given that, uh, you know, preview uh, their other record is on my list. Yeah. Uh, so uh, speaking of which, let's uh, let's get into those lists. Let's not waste time here. Uh, yes. So top 10 records for each of us. Uh, I will go first. 
uh, as I did last year. Uh, it's just I'm 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 guessing this is going to be kind of funny that 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 the the, res- the responses and the retorts might actually be longer than my than my coverage, uh, just because mm-hmm. art art loves to hate on my lists. Um, to be fair, there are only two albums on your list that I think objectively just uh, de- uh, definitively suck. Only okay. two. Okay. To be fair. Okay. I got you. And, and to be fair, there's only two on, there's only one on your list that sucks. So, <laughs> Hey, so we're, we're okay. So anyway, let's get going. Number 10 boy genius, the record. Uh, yes. Uh, this is one of the more overhyped records of the year, but it's got its redeeming qualities because all it three does. of all, all three of these ladies, uh, Julianne Baker, Phoebe Bridgers, and especially Lucy Dacus, uh, have a lot to say. They have a talent and they have a, a style, this sort of uh, confessional uh, uh, pop rock from uh, ladies in their 20s, uh, clearly all influenced by uh, Joni Mitchell and Taylor Swift. Uh, Taylor Swift, it's it's kind of interesting. She was Times Person of the Year, which was a good call because there's the, the cultural influence, the musical influence, the cultural influence is enormous. And I think that she's been uh, uh, influential on all three of these ladies. Uh, so this is on here is kind of a uh, honorarium. Uh, there's three great songs all in a row. Uh, $20, Emily, I'm Sorry, and True Blue, uh, especially True Blue. Uh, and I'm putting this on here uh, because, one, I do acknowledge that there's a lot of talent and, you know, there's a lot of stuff. You know, there's uh, it's one of these. There's a lot of palpable emotion on this record and some pretty harmonies. And then you do have those three great songs. But anytime I get a chance to talk up Lucy Dacus, I'll take it. I think that Lucy Dacus, uh, her contributions on this record are stellar, especially True Blue. Um, The the lyric on that is marvelous. So she's a difference maker. She's one of those. uh, The reason that the other songs are as good as they are probably is because she was involved as a collaborator. Uh, She makes them listenable. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, in, in some ways, yeah. She's she's a special talent. And she's a the thing I learned about this record is that she's a strong singer. Uh she's, I never she's she's by far the best singer. She's the best singer of the three. She's the best song, lyricist song. of the three. She's the best overall songwriter. Songwriter. Yeah. <laughs> I never I never saw her as, you know, I saw her as having a distinct voice. Yeah. And that that served the songs. But I never in in terms of the harmonies, it's her voice that that that's the standout. So uh, she's definitely one of the few artists uh, in her 20s whose next works I anticipate eagerly. So uh, as a public service, I am putting Boy Genius at number 10 on my list. Arturo? Yeah, they are the most overhyped and overrated band of the year and the most overhyped album Um, on, on my personal list. I have it at number 19. But then again, I have a pretty uh, mediocre, uh, mediocre view of this yeah. year. <laughs> yeah, me too. There's a reason um, we're keeping it to 10 and not 20. Exactly. So I have it at number 19. Um, it, it's like I said, she makes this album work. Back is she uh, Julie, Julian yeah. Baker, I'm not a fan of her music. It's, it's, it's a little too whiny, mopey, continuously slow for my taste. But she ups her game for this record. At least she tries to actually play something that, you know, pro- approximates rock music. Yeah. I still don't know what Phoebe Bridgers' talent is. Uh, <laughs> it's de- it's definitely not as a lyricist because she's so incredibly, insufferably juvenile. Yeah, uh, especially with some of the songs she has on this record, like "Letter to an Old Poet," which makes me gag. Yeah, uh, uh, she, she's not as album. juvenile as Olivia Rodrigo. 
Uh, that's a former Disney starlet turned. Yeah, but 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 Olivia Rodrigo is at least interestingly, annoyingly immature. Uh, no, you know, no. Whereas Phoebe Bridgers is more boring than that. She 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 has a whiny voice. I'm not a fan of her singing voice. Not a fan of her lyrics. Who are we but talking hey, about, Rodrigo? Or are we talking about no, Bridgers? Phoebe Bridgers? Okay, and, Bridgers. but hey, okay. Lucy Dacus is on this record, and she really is what makes it work. And. Uh, this album makes me want to listen to her solo albums more, which yeah, which I guess says something a lot for Lucy Dacus, but doesn't say much for the other ladies in this. Band. Yeah, yeah, I was I was gonna say that she's that much of a standout that uh, yeah. the reason that she gets to number ten, she's the she, she's basically not the only reason, but the main reason that it thrusts into the top ten. She's the difference maker. All right, anyway, Chris, number nine. Moving on, number nine, Wednesday with Rat Saw God. Uh, this is the best half a great record of the year. Uh, half of it is uh, th- they have this weird combination of styles that they mix uh, grunge, uh, art, noise and alt country or, you know, kind of that uh, noise rock uh, sonic youthy kind of noise. In other rock. words, we love the 1990s. That's yeah, we, we love the 1990s. So so basically very, you know, but the, the alt country grunge and, and art punk. Uh, and so there's a little too much noise to make it a great record, but I put it at number nine because the half record, which are tracks four through eight are marvelous songs. It's like one great pop song after another, especially the song called chosen to deserve Uh, the star of this record. uh, She's the singer uh, Carly Hartsman, uh, which, uh, you know, she's an interesting one because she's, uh, she plays messed up girl with a messed up past that she in a messed up way looks back at with fondness. And so, you know, there's yeah. so- there's songs about uh, sniffing glue and, uh, uh, you know, seeing dead bodies at a crime scene and stuff like that. So it's it's some dark shit, but but it just really, really works. It's just really strong rock songs, really strong uh, melodies uh, in the middle. And because you listen to first third of the record, it's like, oh, geez. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's like, wow. And then it ends uh, with a wet fart. Uh, but the stuff that's great is great. And uh, one thing to note, uh, MJ Lenderman is uh, is a member of this band. And uh, he, uh, to, to kind of illustrate my point about how uh, top 10 moment uh, lists are a moment in time, uh, the, the album from 2022 that I listened to the most in 2023 is Boat Songs by MJ Lenderman, which last year was number 20 on my list. Uh, it would probably be number two on my list if I updated it. It's the one I listen to the most. It's probably my favorite record of the year, but I still wouldn't put it over that uh, that Solgo record that I know you hate, Art. Uh, but uh, So anyway, uh, great half a record, and the half a record propels it to number nine in a, in a not-so-great uh, slash pretty good year. Arturo? Yeah, this album is one of the two on your list that I think really suck. Um, they 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 have a great sound. I like their I like the sound they're going for, but they really need a songwriter. There's not one I, I there's not one single song that has a memorable riff, melody, uh, hook, chorus. You name it. It's just like eh, well played 1990s retro revival retro revival 1990s uh indie rock and yeah i just i mean yeah they need a songwriter that's just my thing yeah that's it well they have them well they have a couple of, i mean carly hartsman and mj lennerman are really great songwriters when they focus uh and so uh, and like i said when they focus and when they're focused there is they're as good as anybody in the country you know that that north carolina rock scene is pretty fertile uh 
but good yeah. good songwriting means melodies and choruses that you can remember and that you can go yeah. back to Cho chosen and, to and deserve is one of those chosen to deserve is definitely riffs, one of those riffs that are memorable yeah. you know I, yeah. I, i'm sorry to me this album doesn't have it <laughs> gotcha so again great half a record um but you don't you don't agree with that uh number eight uh killer mike uh michael's uh, if you want to read the most embarrassing review of the last several years, uh, Bob Guccione Jr., who's the interim editor-in-chief at Spin or what's ever left of Spin, uh, has this gushing old white guy review of like, hey, I don't listen to hip hop, but this is like the best hip hop record ever. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> but that's amusing. But anyway, he does belong on this list. Killer Mike is uh, he's an old head at this point. Uh, hip hop is not quite dead, but it's also not quite alive. Uh, yet and mm. so uh, thank goodness for killer mike for making a record this exciting and interesting and refreshing here in 2023 it's it's kind of a throwback in the sense that uh you know killer mike is from atlanta and uh, he uh, got his big break by uh being an associate with outcast and so uh the music on this record is a throwback to the organized wing goody mob wing of the dirty south which is to say uh old soul uh sort of old down home soul uh, uh, yeah. uh you know those those kinds of samples and those kinds of influences you know think donny hathaway and like the the, the the real grinding soul obviously you know like uh what's his name CeeLo green makes an appearance andre 3000 makes an appearance on this record uh and mike is just he's you know he's a member of run the jewels which is probably the, the that's the best hip-hop group uh, uh in, in the world uh, at this point you know that's him and lp uh and uh, their last record uh, rtj4 was wonderful uh but Mike is just, he's very honest. You know, he's, he was Bernie. You know, I like to joke that he was Bernie Sanders, black guy. Um, you know, he went, went out there and campaigned for uh, 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 Bernie Sanders to get the black vote out uh, for him. But you know, there's just a lot of coverage on this record. There's reverence and sort of you know paying tribute to the junkies in his community. Uh, a lot of stuff about his mom, uh, a lot of stuff about his past and some of the bad decisions that he made. Uh there's a song about the the abortion conundrum for uh, young ladies. And so there's just a lot of evocative uh, themes and uh, combined. You combine that with the soul samples and all that. It's it, it was the best traditional hip hop record I heard all year. There's not there's really the traditional hip hop is kind of a dying breed. I mean, everybody's now trying to be like Drake or trying to be like, uh, you know, what's his name? The the six ten nine etc you know the guy that was on it seems like half of the guys that are like uh, the, the quote-unquote groundbreakers are on trial for murder <laughs> <laughs> I, I you know it that, that bothers me a little bit but but killer mike he's an old head and he's still making he's still coming up with new tricks arturo yeah, I love Killer Mike. This album just doesn't quite get there for me. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I, I like in theory, I like the idea of the old soul samples and keeping it down south. You know, the quote unquote going back to church kind of thing. But I think the 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 gospel affectations are a little too much for me. And he's lyrically he's just complaining a little too much about people complaining about him. It's like, come on, Mike, get over it. You're bigger than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know. Like yeah, hating on his critics. Uh, it's yeah. like, dude, you're like 45 years old, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, at this point, you're, Mark, you're already a star. <laughs> yeah. On. You don't, you don't, you know, you're, you don't really need to hate on your critics anymore. You know, don't waste your energy there. Uh, I, I guess that's a valid criticism, but at least he's funny about it. Uh, you know, yeah. and uh, it just, it makes me look forward to RTJ five, which, you know, is coming. 
yeah. let's just put it this way. Uh, there's a, a song from RTJ4 that's actually uh, the backing track to an Amazon commercial that was played <laughs> during football yep. games yep. over the last few months. And so, yeah, hey, you know, they're getting licensing from Amazon. So you know, they got to come up with some new products. So right. uh, there's something to look forward to. Seven, uh, Laurel meets the obsolete, uh, their album Datura. Uh, this is one of two parallel universe selections from Arturo to make my yes. list. Right. Amazingly, one of my selections made his list, which mm-hmm. didn't make my list. So that's a little bit of a preview. Usually he hates on my stuff, something awful. But hey, you know, uh, you know, but so but the one sun of his, shines in a dog's ass every now and then. Yeah. But but <laughs> hey, w- w- one of his PU uh, selections from this year is on his list. And I hate that album. So they're giving me a preview. <laughs> so, so there. So anyway, uh, let's talk about Laurel Meets the Obsolete. Uh, this is a uh, a one-time neo-psychedelic band from Mexico uh, that has gone avant-pop. Uh, when you think about this record, which is a really strong and fun and nasty-ass record, uh, think of Nirvana's Endless Nameless, which is the, the hidden track on uh, Nevermind, uh, as rendered with electronic instruments and reverb vocals. I mean, that's kind of what the uh, the effect is uh, with hints, by the way, of both Depeche Mode and Aphex Twin. Uh, you know, there's there's some dance rock uh, stuff going on here. Uh, one of the best songs of the year is on this record, Golpe Blanco. Uh, yeah. with, that's Spanish for Bloodless Coup. It's uh, it's it's just a nasty ass dance rock track. And no, just fair- Golpe Blanco means white hit, like a white punch. Oh, OK. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I read somewhere that it stood stood for bloodless coup, or it's no, no, maybe not. okay. Well, yeah, <laughs> whoever, don't, don't, I know I know Blanco. Yeah, I know Blanco <laughs> is white. Uh, yeah. So I guess hey, don't trust everything you read on the internet, folks. Uh, but it's it just it's a really strong dancey. It's almost tra- It gets trancey. You know, it's yeah, it uh, it's trippy and trancey, and that's half the record. I mean, they they really. Uh, front woman Lorena uh, Quintanilla apparently over the last few years has really gotten into experimenting with electronic instruments and with ambient and uh, uh, yeah. with uh, with drum machines and it, it it shows because their earlier stuff you know neo neo psychedelic uh, is probably a good descriptor it used to be a lot more guitar heavy and a lot like weirder and uh, in, in some ways even shoegazy you know like my bloody Valentine ish in some respects but uh, th- they've really become a really strong uh, uh, EDM rock. Uh, outfit like yeah. i said and dave grohl was clearly a drum influence uh and so that's the exciting part it's it's edm is done by uh with dave grohl on drums is yeah. kind of the effect go ahead yeah this is definitely this is on my top 10 list as well um and yeah they, when they started out they were absolutely a shoegazer band but they, they were a good shoegazer band there yep. aren't that many retro yeah i was gonna say that's a, sh- that's a short list yeah, but yeah. they were and they're from Mexico City. Uh, this group is one of the better or one of the best ones, or were one of the best ones. You can't call them shoegazer anymore. No, uh, not they, at all. They, all shoegaze has been drawn out of them. They are now basically really aggressive art rock with strong tinges of grunge and industrial. You mentioned Nine Inch Nails and uh, no, 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 sorry, right. You mentioned Depeche Mode and Aphex Twin. I hear a little bit of Nine Inch Nails in yeah. this record. Yeah, well. that's true. Second half especially. Yeah. yeah. So the second half is the, is like the best half of the album. Yeah. So absolutely. yeah, this is a great record. Uh, it's one of the ones we definitely agree on. All right. Yeah. Next. Number six. All right. Uh, n- number six, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, Petro Dragonic Apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> it's got a full ass, like weird title, which I didn't write down and it doesn't matter. It's Petro Dragonic uh, Apocalypse. 
yo, a speed metal concept album about climate change, destruction, witches, and Godzilla. Yo, <laughs> dude. Yeah, it's 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 this is definitely a stoner record of the highest order, but it, it kicks ass. I mean, uh, you know, the best record that they've done in the last five or six years is uh, Infest the Rat's Nest, which was their yeah. first foray into speed metal, and was it was more it was more of a uh, a darker and more serious concept album about climate change and having to leave the planet uh, yeah. because of it. But this one is it's just kind of goofy fun. And like lit- literally, it just uh, it reimagines the Godzilla story uh, yeah. with with climate change uh, replacing nuclear apocalypse as the uh, you know, yeah. and and the radioactivity uh, comes from a coven of witches uh, here. So <laughs> it's it's really goofy as hell. And and uh, as I said on the episode when I covered this in PU, if you're gonna have a band called King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, uh, once in a while you have to do albums about either gizzards, lizards, or wizards. <laughs> and and here they cover the lizard and they cover it very very well and like i said you know they could use some quality control but when they hit it right they really really hit it right so two years in a row a king wizard gizzard record is making my list uh good stuff Arturo. yeah this album almost made it to my list i have it at number 12 mm-hmm. and uh yeah it was number 12 or 13 no i have it at number 12 and i like it i really do like it but what, what drops it down a notch for me this is their second thrash metal record and the only one you can compare it to really is their 2019 album infest the rat's nest but what makes this album although i like it i do like it what i why i put it a little inferior and i i i deem it a little more as an inferior record is because two things one thing what made infest the rat's nest so great it was thrash metal done king gizzard style Two things. Number one, when you think of thrash metal, think of the tight, really tight, tight, yeah. airtight, no uh, no room for any kind of improvisation, rhythmic yeah. drumming. Whereas an Infestor Rat's Nest, it's got a loose swing to it, which yeah, is like very, very unthrash and done so intentionally. And the other thing yeah. is that in, in, on Infestor Rat's Nest, the guitars, even though they had those thrash sounding, you know, aggro guitars, had some psychedelic overtones to them. You still had that yeah. garagey psych uh, 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 sheen to the guitar sound on that album. On yeah. this album, there's no psychedelic sheen to the guitars. The rhythms are a little too tight, and it's a little too typically thrash. It's no longer a King Gizzard style thrash album. It's just a thrash album, yeah, which is it's- really done, really done well. But I miss the 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 distinctive gizzard element that that, yeah. that that gave it its personality which you had on infest a rat's nest here yeah, that's true not so much no I, I think that's a valid criticism that you know it king gizzard at its at its heart is really a garage uh is, yeah. is really kind of a garage, psychedelic garage band uh if 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 you were to ask them what they really were that's what they are but they're ones that uh are that have a musical sophistication enough and enough ambition and and they're goofy enough to to try these types of things yeah i mean and you had a good point i mean this is basically a, a straightforward uh thrash uh metal record with charlie watts on drum uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not it's not lars ulrich double bass uh yeah. you know that that's for sure and so it's uh that's a little strange, but still, I mean, I I, I love uh, some of the stuff. I mean, especially some some of the songs about the witches are really really fun. Uh, so yeah, definitely check it out. It's uh, you know stoner rock of the highest order, and I think that most of you will will like it. Uh, number five, Jamie Branch, and I think I'm getting most of this right. Fly or die, or die fly or die. World War Three, yeah, something uh, like that. 
<laughs> yeah, and I, th I think that's right. Uh, so Jamie Branch was a, a virtuosic j jazz trumpeter uh, who tragically died of a drug overdose in 2022, just as her and her uh, uh, collaborators and friends were about to finish this record. Uh, and so uh, her friends and family did finish this record and put final touches on it, and they released it in 2023. It... Uh, you know, there's justice in the world. This did get attention. It wouldn't probably wouldn't have gotten attention if, if it hadn't been for Branch's demise. But right. uh, but it did. And rightfully so. It's a very, very good record. Uh, very exciting. It's smart, rousing, rousing jazz where the longer numbers build and engage instead of wander and or noodle. Uh, and uh, it's unself serious enough to include a cheeky meat puppets cover. Uh, and so, so, so again, it, it's, it's got a Brooklyn sensibility, but she actually, you know, I think she was, she went to school in Boston. She was in Baltimore for a while. I think she, uh, she was in California for a while. So it's, she's not a, she's not a master's thesis kind of player, which, you know, you, that kind of infects a lot of modern jazz where it's, it's more about the theory and it's more about the, uh, let, let's, let's, let's say something deep in seven movements. Uh, yeah. I, I had one of those albums on my top 20 uh, last year. Uh, Kamasi Washington, I guess, is kind of the top of of, of that uh, set now. But uh, she's a lot looser and she plays with uh, she's a little bit more adventurous. She plays with some rhythms, you know, some African rhythms, yeah. some, uh, some Latin rhythms uh, and uh, even a little bit of I guess you could call it almost bluegrassy kind of shit. It's yeah. uh, it's a very it's a very adventurous record. And so I, I admire it. Uh, who knows if I'll still be listening to it in five years, but I definitely admire it. And I definitely think it belongs on this list. Arturo? Yeah, I think it's an okay record. I think for the most part, you have a lot of great parts, great, a great drum rhythm here, a great bass line here. Um, so, so some really uh, catchy, interesting and memorable horn parts here, but very few of those parts very few instances where you have those parts coalesce into a unifying whole, except oh, for this one song in the middle of the album called Burning Gray, which is by far the best and the funkiest oh, yeah. uh, track. And the funkiest no, I agree. track. I agree with that. That's yeah. a great song. But, it, but there's the a lot of great of the, soloing on the record, too. She's a great, she's a, yeah. she was a virtuosic yeah. player. But I, sure. I wish her solos had a better bedrock of, you know, of, 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 of more interesting instrumentation around her instead of being spread out into like, okay, this song, the best part, this song has the great bass part. This song is the great drum part. This song, I wish it would have been a little more cohesive um, in order to make it, uh, at least for me, you know, uh, connect with me more and be a little more memorable. But, and I think yeah. those are the weaknesses of the album. I don't but know. I, the, Burning Gray is a great single. Check it out. Yeah. This is one of those instances where the lack of cohesion makes it more interesting. <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes yeah. cohesion in jazz can be a bad thing. Uh, so, I mean, I guess that that's in, in, for me, it's virtue for you. It's vice. So, yeah. uh, moving on number four, uh, the second album that Arturo and I have in common on our lists, Laurel Canyon and their self-titled record, Laurel Canyon, uh, by far the most exciting rock record of 2023, uh, grunge is alive and it's not, it's not alive in a reverent set, uh, a sense or a, a nostalgic sense is this is the booming dynamite straight from the heart. Uh, yeah. grunge and uh and it's it really shares a lot with early mud honey and early sound garden as much as mm. it does nirvana although yeah definitely it owes a debt of gratitude to nirvana's Nevermind. but uh probably each <laughs> yeah probably the uh the best rock song uh of the year 
uh, is Madam Hit the Wire, uh, yeah. which, you know, the uh, the the lead part on the uh, on the chorus is just bad fucking tastic just really really just awesome stuff and so th- these are what these are college kids that are based in philly uh yeah. and gr- grew up in i think what montclair new jersey i think it is yeah uh, and so but they're all like 22 21 but the, they 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 listen to the right stuff growing up but they capture it well and they, they write they they're really already really strong writers and they bash the fuck out and so a uh, bright, bright, bright future for this group. I can see them breaking out here within the next few years. Uh, there's, they're kind of a, of a they're a well-kept secret. Uh, there's not a whole lot of people outside of me and Arturo that you'll hear uh, uh, giving shout outs to this band uh, this year, but yeah. give, you know, wait, wait till like 2026. They're going to be all over the place. Arturo. I hope so. <laughs> Rock needs that <laughs> right now. Yeah. This is, this is, this album is also in my top 10, um, basically, yeah, it's grunge reborn. And what I like about this band is that they definitely echo, you know, sub pop, late 1980s, early 1990s rock, but they're not deliberately copying. They don't literally sound like Mudhoney. They don't literally no. sound like Soundgarden. No, they're not at all. Even though you hear echoes of that in their music, they have a unique way of songwriting too. I love the way the lead singer, he has these his slurred vocals oh yeah intentionally slurred vocals lend themselves to those twisting bending melodies that they have that you normally don't uh, um you don't categorize with grunge or identify with grunge no. even though these guys are pretty much a neo grunge band they they're pretty much they're essentially reinventing grunge on their own and yeah. they're really doing a great job of it and and it's a pretty bold step considering how even to this day there are still a few rock fans out there like no grunge sucks yeah fuck, which fuck those yeah assholes. fuck those people yeah <laughs> i mean th- th- this band does it but they do it well and they put an original twist on it and this it's my favorite rock album of the year by far yeah yeah my, yeah definitely mine uh mine too and it, you made an interesting point with uh with how uh playful the lead singer is it's almost like it's like pavement doing grunge yeah <laughs> in some respects you know that yeah. that that kind of like wink wink uh kind of yeah. stuff going on uh number three jpeg mafia and danny brown scaring the hoes uh this is the top hip-hop record on my uh, uh album but calling it a hip-hop record kind of does it uh uh doesn't do it justice it's a it's a wild ass record uh wholly inappropriate but fun as hell it's just this mishmash of influences it's an organized cacophony of all kinds of styles. I mean, uh, JPEG Mafia is a hip hop producer. He's based in uh, New York now, but uh, he's been another one kind of like Jamie Branch has been all over the place and uh, he's picked up a lot of influences. And so there's some, there's some Oakland music in there. There's some booty music. There's uh, drum and bass. There's uh straightforward uh, New York, uh, like uh, reverent uh, hip hop production there. There's like Detroit Horrorcore, obviously, because he's got Danny Brown on there. Uh, and you know, Danny Brown, you know, he's, he, he's not quite the, he's, well, he's sobered up. So he's not quite the triple X, uh, genius, uh, like fucked up genius that he was back in 2011, but he's still pretty damn great and still pretty damn funny. Uh, it's just a really entertaining, wild, like 30 something minutes of, uh, of just adventure. And so, uh, I had to give it up for that. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, is it, when you talk about songs, is it, is it as strong as either Laurel, Laurel Canyon or even Laurel? No, but it's exciting as hell. And that counts for a lot in an average year, like 2023. Arturo. 
Yeah, there's one track on this album that I really like. It's the single, and it's, it's the title track, uh, Scaring the Hose. <laughs> um, yep. it, 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 I, I love the snapping beat. You know, oh, the, yeah. The, it's basically finger snapping and they're 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 creating a whole beat based on that really inventive really innovative yeah aside from that the rest of this album is just just industrial noise crap hip-hop i just yeah i I just i just find it thoroughly unlistenable danny brown comes up with a couple of good rhymes here and there and i love i love danny brown too but to me this album i just find is pretty pretty unlistenable yeah i i I like to beat the fentanyl tester too that's that that's a fun one uh yeah, it's just uh, just some some skipping the hop and a jump and a and with some drum and bass. So it's so it's good stuff. So yeah, definitely check that out. And so my the top two records, uh, they're they're pretty unified. Uh, they these are the two best country albums that I heard uh, this year. And it's kind of weird, you know. I don't necessarily gravitate towards, and it's not even alt country. It's not country tinge rock like Big Thief or anything like that. This is actual like country music as the way it was intended. And so for those to be my top two records, it kind of shows you how strong these records are. So let's cover uh, uh, in order. N- number two, Jason Isbell and the 400 unit, Weather Veins. Uh, I've been a fanboy of Jason Isbell's for 20 years, going back to his work in uh, the drive-by truckers. Uh, his alcoholism cost him that gig <laughs> in, <laughs> in, in the mid-aughts. Uh but uh, and so he's become one of modern country rock's finest voices in the years since uh, my uh, the, the, the song that turned me on back then. Uh, it's one of my still one of my favorite sets. If you ask me, like uh, the honest answer, my favorite set of lyrics of all time is from Outfit, which is a song off of Decoration Day by the Drive By Truckers, which is just beautiful uh, uh, song of a, a, a father giving sage advice. You know, my life didn't quite go as well. And so here's my sage advice for you not to fuck up like I did. Uh, it's very, very poignant, especially since I had a close relationship with my father. Uh, this record, uh, Stories Full of Tensions, uh, it's, you know, if you've got survival versus survivor's guilt. You've got lost hope versus found hope. You've got the simplicity of action versus the complexity of love, which is interesting considering that uh, Isabel's wife is a member of the band. Uh, you've got fading love versus vivid memories. Uh, extremely well-produced record, full body emotional treatment. Uh, it's, uh, it, it doesn't, you know, it, it's kind of nothing too soft and nothing too hard. And it's just, it's, it's a very strong unified set. Uh, I said these, these days, if a record is longer than 37 minutes, I probably won't like it. This is a rare exception. This is an hour long, but it's a very consistent record. It's, it's very poetic and it's just, just a lot, it's a lot of character studies of, of lost dreams and lost love and uh, recovering hopes and, and things like that. So uh, it's, it's his best records in Southeastern. I don't think it's better in Southeastern. And that's kind of one of the stronger records of the, the entire two thousands, you know, 2000 to now, Uh, but weather is strong and it, it definitely deserves its place high up on this list. Arturo. Yeah, I mean Jason Isbell is one of those guys who I I, I like him. I I, I I like him as a person. I respect him, and uh, you know, think my thing with Isbell is that I like I kind of like everything about him, but his music. You know, <laughs> uh, his, his his music isn't bad. It's not bad. Nothing wrong with Jason Isbell's music. I mean, I acknowledge that you know he's a tuneful songwriter and he has some pretty good lyrics. But I just find his brand of country rock slash folk rock to be pretty bland. 
I find it bland. I find it non-distinctive. I find it just kind of dull and drab. I much prefer the band he was in. I, I think his songs were edgier when he was surrounded by Patterson Hood and Chris yeah. Cooley drive-by truckers. Oh, I agree with that. Oh, I agree with and, that. And his solo stuff since then just doesn't have that edge. It really yeah. doesn't. Everything yeah. I've heard, I haven't heard an album in its entirety, but I've heard several songs from each album because I because I'm trying to like the guy. I really want to get into the guy. And I'm yeah. listening, I was like, you know what? This is just dull. This is it, it, it's too much cookie cutter country rock, too much, you know, middle of the middle. It's not lightweight, but it is middle of the road. It, it, it's cookie cutter, middle of the road country rock that doesn't have anything that really grabs. It doesn't have an edge to it. You know, like I said before, that's it. Yeah. And uh, the thing about Isbell, I mean, that's a fair point that he does have kind of a narrow range in terms of uh, where he keeps his songs. But uh, it, it works for me. I think that there's there, there's a pathos to it that I really, really like and, uh, and an honesty. Uh, and that's what I'm saying. So long, you know, honest songs are always the best songs, which we'll get into here in a bit. Uh, but, uh, yeah, is his stuff. I mean, he, he, had, he was around for two or three DBT records and that's still to this day, his best stuff, especially his couple of songs on decoration day. Those are just amazing. And so, uh, but he's kind of chosen this narrow lane for himself, this kind of, uh, uh, easy, it's almost like an easy listening country style and he doesn't get a chance to rock out much, which is too bad. So my hope for him is that at some point he finds his way to rocking out back rocking out because uh strange but true dinosaur jr uh, had a um, anniversary show uh a couple of weeks back and isbel actually went up on the stage and joined him for a cover of freebird mm. uh and where he got to really wow. rock out on guitar so he's got it in him uh so that that's one hope that's not a criticism that's just a hope for the future with with mr isbel <laughs> and so number one uh I really believe that in 10 years, this is the only album from 2023 anybody will remember. Uh, Zach Bryan's self-titled record, Zach Bryan. Uh, Zach Bryan, yeah, this is an, my number one pick here. It's a bit off-brand for us at the Curmudgeon Rock Report because uh, it's an album that has a number one hit on it uh, from this year. And when, when I tell you that Zach Bryan is a ruggedly handsome veteran uh, uh, from rural Oklahoma, you're like, oh, fuck, he must be a bro country dude. And it's like farthest thing from it. Uh, he owes as much to Springsteen as he does Merle Haggard. He's the most consistently great songwriter in the country uh, right now. Uh, he followed last year. He did a triple record, which is a little unwieldy and it got kind of messy called American Heartbreak. But within that, it's kind of like the 69 love songs of uh, <laughs> of country music where a third of it was awesome. And, you know, showed that the guy had real potential. And so he's he's prolific. But when he focuses it down and drills it down and really edits himself, he's marvelous. Uh, and he's just one of these guys that has these li lines that just you, you just line after line. You can just chew on and go, "Ooh, that's good. Uh, just quoting a, a, a few of them. Uh, You're the waves crashing down on the East Coast. Uh, hey, driver, pull over. I'm in a fight with God. All the love I had worth giving has been spent on my soul. You only lovely love me like you mean it when it's after dark. The thing about high hopes is you can't hold on too tight. Ain't ever been a holy roller, but I found God in your eyes. That last one is from probably the best one of the two or three best songs on the record called Holy Roller. Uh, and then the number one hit on it actually uh, 
is one of the better songs on the record. Uh, you know, one of the things about these days is uh, these days is that the hit record is usually the most boring song on records yeah. th these days. It's like, oh, this is the one that at least will get you on the radio and pay your bills. Uh, but it's really, really great. It's actually a duet with Casey Musgraves, who, yeah, she's, uh, you know, Arturo and I both cynically say, well, at least she's hot. Uh, I've never been a huge fan of her music, but it works here that, uh, you know, it's called I Remember Everything. And it makes the point that that never forget and always remember are not are not the same thing. And so it's a duet about a relationship that was basically ruined by alcoholism and where he's kind of remembering of like, oh, I, I remember the the fondness of, you know, we I was struggling, but I remember the fondness of those days where she's like, well, I remember those too, and it's not so fond. And so the, the lyrics kind of mirror each other, and it's a really, really neat trick. Uh, and the album ends with a little folk that he called Oklahoman Son, which is a really honest song, and it makes me admire the guy because he says, even though I've sold my guns, I, I'm paraphrasing this. Even though I've sold my guns, I'm still an Oklahoman son, and so it's it's kind of his way of saying of saying I I I revere where I come from, even though I don't necessarily represent what it's become now, and yeah. so it's the opposite of Okie from Muskogee uh, yeah. by uh, by Haggard. So I admire Zach Bryan to no end. Uh, I think that he's uh, he there's when we talk about monoculture, it's all women these days. You know Taylor Swift and Beyonce, right? And the, these are the household names that everybody knows, everybody loves, grandmothers love. Zach Bryan, among male uh, artists right now, and he's only twenty-seven. He's the one that over the next five years has a chance to go monoculture and really be uh, universally loved. If he can get a number one pop hit and be a country, you know, CMA type superstar playing uh, uh music this honest and and this beautiful uh in a in a world that's dominated by luke bryan and jason aldean and all these other assholes uh <laughs> then he he can break out he can be like a universally loved uh star and so i admire this guy to no end i love this album uh i have a feeling you might disagree with me arturo um you know what at least it isn't bro country yeah, <laughs> you know, at, at least at least it isn't. Oh, uh, how would I describe it? Yes, this is how I would describe bro country. You know, uh, I'm proud of my freedom. I'm proud of my truck. I'm proud of my pride. You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much bro yeah. country. In, in, in yeah, it's basically the lineage of Toby Keith. I got my freedom. I got my truck. I got my dog. I got my beer. And I'm, I'm a proud fascist. of my pride. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm proud of my pride. Yeah. No, Zach Bryan definitely is not one of those guys. And um, my thing with Zach is that I respect him because he's not that. And uh, but here's the thing, though, even even like outside of bro country, whatever I said about Jason Isbell applies here to Zach Bryan. It's I mean, I respect that he's a tuneful songwriter and that he's introspective. And that he's he's he he evokes emotion without being sentimental, and that's kind of a tough trick to do in country yeah. music. And he kind of pulls that off, you know. So he he's he's got he, he's got that vulnerable side to him, yet you know still manly, quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> but but at the same time, he's just 
bland to me. It's just bland. It's again not lightweight. Although Casey Musgraves is most definitely lightweight. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 he but he 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 he's still a bit middle of the road and edgeless for me. It 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 does it, it, it oh, doesn't. I disagree. It doesn't it doesn't connect with grit for me. No, I and, I disagree. I think there's a lot of grit there. I think there's a lot of mm. uh, there's a lot of regret. There's a lot of uh, sure. There's a lot of but, weariness. But, there's a lot yeah, of- but 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 it's but it's not. There's nothing that other country writers haven't uh, uh, addressed and articulated in better ways. Well, of course. Um, well, I mean, I don't know about well. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about like Merle Haggard and you're talking about like Chris Christopherson, you're talking about like even. Uh, uh, some of those guys uh, or Willie you know, Nelson or Towns Van Zandt. Yeah. Or some of the B guys from the seventies. Yeah, no, I get it, but I'm just saying, but, but he, he's in that lineage and he has a lot to say. Uh, if there's one criticism that you can have as Eck Brian is that he's got a template uh, yeah. that a lot of his songs follow. Just like in. Jason Isabel. They're like, yeah. they're like peas in a pod, peas in a pod. Yeah. But no, but, but his template, you know, he's, he's very lyrical. And, and I mean that in the poetic sense, uh, not like the Dylan sense. I'd say she's got this sort of, He's almost like a lyrical uh, poet, and it, it has this sort of uh, uh, cadence uh, to it that he returns to. He breaks out of it a little bit. That That's one of the things that sunk American Heartbreak is that he relied on that template too much. But he starts to break out of it a little bit here. But it's uh, he it's one of these things of like, yeah, you can change up the theme slightly. You know, you you know, I regret my alcoholism. I'm road weary. Uh, I'm in love, you know, uh, you know, uh, I'm no holy roller, but, you know, but I found God in your eyes, you know, and, and he, he can have that kind of sweetness or whatever. And so you sure. can replace the emotion, but it's kind of like, you know, uh, it, you know, insert line here. Uh, so there is a little bit of a formula, but he starts to break out of it here. And so uh, I have my hopes. I, I really do think the guy is a star and uh, he's organic in the sense that uh, it was YouTube. He was still in the military. Uh, mm-hmm. when he started to break on YouTube. And so it was with social media that, that that built up his his hopes. And I also admired a guy because he basically, he he said, fuck Ticketmaster. Uh, mm-hmm. And he did a live album, actually. Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but basically he said, you know, we don't need no t- Ticketmaster around here. And so he's he's kind of doing it on his own terms. So who, so who, who sold the tickets for his show? Who broke <sighs> I, I don't know. Uh, here's the thing. From what I remember, he did... He, I think he kind of did it with his own management and they kind of, they set it up and there might've been some company that did the, uh, did the servicing, but they were able to pull it off. Uh, whereas, you know, uh, Pearl Jam 30 years ago, the, you know, the internet was in its infancy. And right. so, yeah, you know, I get the feeling now with the technology and the dissemination yeah. of information, it's easier to circumvent Ticketmaster now than it was back in 1995. Yeah, but, but Pearl it, Jam, it, we're doing we're, we're doing their bit. You well, know? well, it isn't. It isn't. You got to be you either have to be diligent enough or good enough to go viral. Yeah. Uh, you know, and by diligent enough, I mean, you be like a little Nas X where you just try everything and then something eventually sticks. Uh but in uh, Brian's case, he's just he's just a natural born talent. And like I said, for for, you know, for one of his songs to be number one on the pop charts and the country charts these days yeah. is like that's yeah. a neat trick. It just it just no. it, it shows that talent reigns when talent reigns. On this episode, we gave you each of our choices for the top 10 albums of 2023. For the next episode, we will continue our groundbreaking series, The Second Golden Age of Rock. 
For this installment, we'll take you to the epochal and historically defining year of 1967. Yeah, it's known as the year of the summer of love, flower power, and all that hippie stuff. But it bears mentioning, and seemingly endless analysis, that it truly was a watershed year for music of all kinds. You had landmark albums by The Beatles, The Birds, and Cream. Yes, Eric Clapton is a douchebag, but he still needs to be discussed in the context of historic rock music. You also had landmark singles by James Brown, The Rolling Stones, The Kinks, The Who, Buffalo Springfield, and a shitload of greats from the Motown and Stax record labels. And then there is the astounding run of debut albums that would help shape popular music for, arguably, the rest of the century. The Doors, Jimi Hendrix, The Velvet Underground, and Aretha Franklin. Debuting on Atlantic Records, that is. Join us next time as the Curmudgeon Rock Report brings you The Second Golden Age of Rock, 1967, Rock and Soul in Technicolor. Alright, so here are my top 10 albums for the year 2023. Okay, number 10, Mud Honey with Plastic Eternity, the grunge icons, came out with their by far their best album in a decade and a half. I had given up on this band, but this album finds Mudhoney in just balls to the wall, rocking, angry form. And Mudhoney are at their best, make no mistake, when Mark Arm is pissed the fuck off. Yep. And he is pissed off on this album. Lyrically, he just tackles every single right-wing totem pole you can go after. He goes into... Uh, he goes into climate change. He goes into abortion. He goes into gun control. He goes into conspiracy theor theorizing numbnuts. Yeah. And of Cap course, capitalism. Yeah, yeah. Capitalism in general. He goes after that. Blood honey, yeah. get political. Yes, they yes. do. Eat your heart out, Eddie Vedder. Yeah, no and shit. Um, what I like about this album is that it's a fiercely angry record where musically they get a bit psychedelic, especially in the first half of the record. Oh, yeah. There, there, there's some Pink Floydy type songs uh, yeah. that they have, especially track two or three. But anyway, they, they, they really, really go into it. Um, I mean, the second half is more Mud Honey-ish, if yeah. you want to say, than, than the first half. But like the first two tracks, Souvenir of My Trip and Almost Everything, that's where they like they, they show, oh, yeah. these guys actually kind of like Pink Floyd. But they anyway, actually, they, they actually have more range than we gave them credit for here in their late career. They've uh, always had. And what I like about it in the very end, in this apocalyptic album of the world going to shit, they end the album with a song called Little Dogs. What yep. is the song about? It's about the joy of, of own, little the, the joy and the love that you get from having little dogs as your pet. Because in the end, yep. that's the only thing in life you have to look forward to. I can definitely not only sympathize, but empathize with that. Absolutely. <laughs> me too. Uh, me too. So, uh, yeah, Mud Honey. Uh, yeah, this is uh, Steve Turner is the star of this record. Uh, frankly, oh, yeah. I, I had this number 12 on my list. It didn't quite get into my top 10. And yeah. uh, I, I covered this album in my in a parallel universe uh, segment. So, for one of my one of my picks to make Arturo's list, that makes me uh, that makes me proud. Uh, but yeah, Steve Turner just has some wacky ass uh, and just awesome guitar stuff on this. And it, yeah, you're right; it, it surprised the hell out of me when I heard it. 
Uh, I was covering it because I figured, well, okay, mud honey out there must be something interesting. And uh, lo and behold, it was getting attention. They hadn't done anything in years, like eight years yeah. or something. Right. And lo and behold, it's pretty damn good. So yeah. uh, old dogs uh, still have a few new tricks up their sleeves. So yeah. uh, strong stuff. Uh, Mark Arm is a legend for a reason. Steve Turner is a legend for a reason. And they show it off here for sure. Yeah. Number nine. Okay, Acid Arab and their album, their third album, appropriately titled Trois, French for number three. Now, I don't believe in the term guilty pleasure. I don't think anybody should feel guilty for anything they like. But if you people out there or anyone else out there would like to ascribe the phrase guilty pleasure to anything that I would like, I guess you could ascribe guilty pleasure to this uh, I enjoy the hell out of this record. I know Chris hates it. I like it because it's just, it's just, I mean, basically they're these two DJs from Tunisia and they get the indigenous folk dance music of their region and they marry it to really groovy, catchy EDM. I just think it's cool. I like it. It's danceable. It's it's catchy. It's hummable. You can groove to it. You can lay down and chill and relax to it. You can listen to it in the background while you're either um, uh, working on the script for this podcast like I do or while I'm jerking off. Doesn't matter. You, it, it serves <laughs> many functions. Uh, I love this record. I'm unabashed about how fun it is. It's a fun record. Yeah, I really I, did. I do. I really didn't want the image of you jerking off the acid Arab. Um, <laughs> that, that that that's disturbing. Uh, anyway, ass Arab. Uh, I hate this <laughs> record, and uh, and that might be a little unfair to be honest with you. Because one, I've never been a huge fan of that Northern African or sort of that you know West. I guess you can call it Western Mediterranean. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the whole region, uh, I've yeah. never been a fan of that stuff. It's just it it, it gets on my nerves. Uh, but it also harkens back to memories of hanging out in uh, uh, trying to hang out in clubs in Astoria. You know, Astoria <laughs> is a very Greek slash Mediterranean. And there's probably some Tunisian folks out there, too. Uh, and, you know, these these like hairy guys with, you know, the, the V-neck black T-shirts and, you know, basically, you know, the, the cocaine was probably flowing in the bathrooms. And it's just like we did not fit in as a couple of like, you know, 25 year old nerds that who that didn't really know who we were. Uh, and so <laughs> so I, I do have an implicit bias because of that. It's confirmation bias. Uh, it just confirms that I hated that shit back then. And so so I don't pretend that my criticism is entirely fair. Uh, the one good thing I can say about them is that they they definitely are uh, adherents or uh, acolytes of Daft Punk, and they do capture the Daft Punk style, uh, uh, sort of the, the drum programming and rhythm style that Daft Punk had in their early work, like homework. Uh, and so they do a pretty good job of, of that. But otherwise, nah, it just doesn't it just it's nails on a chalkboard for me. And nah, I can't do it. Number eight for me is Jamila Woods. And her album of this year called Water Made Us. She is a Chicago born and bred uh, singer, songwriter, R&B soul artist. And I, I rate this album pretty high. Well, I mean, as high as I could get, you know, number eight, still, whatever. Anyway, I, I, I rank it be, and I rate it well because it's just really tight, well-written, well-crafted R&B soul that resonates um, yes, I agree with, with your earlier review, Chris, from a few weeks ago. The spoken word pieces 
are a little too pretentious. But that pretentiousness doesn't go into the songs themselves. If you just take the spoken word out, the cheesy spoken word out, the songs really resonate with some heartfelt, um, with some heartfelt uh, emotion and some real, some real intelligence too. It's it's, it's not it's not dumb R and B either. And what I, one of the things I like about her um, is that she is musically, I like I like her for what she is not. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> with, with a lot of uh, contemporary R&B soul artists of her generation, they have musical ADD. They yeah. cannot stick to one rhythm at a time, one melody at a time, one beat at a time. Jamila Woods finds her groove and sticks to the groove until it sticks with you. And that's what I like about it. And that's what I like about her. And I like this record. Yeah, uh, this record is growing on me, uh, and and that was an insightful comment that she does not have the musical ADD, and that she does have some fully formed songs and and fully formed ideas. Uh, it's 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 you know it's it's retro R and B like retro soul, uh, done very very well and 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 cleverly, and I, I think she has a future. Uh, I, I could see her becoming something of a star uh, at at some point uh, because uh, because she's got the integrity to do it. I think that if, if she sticks to her guns uh, as she grows as an artist, I think that she uh, she can get there. Yeah, the spoken word stuff, I still it, it, that's what sinks the album. I mean, it didn't even make my top 20 because of that. It's like, you know, that, that you know, that stuff speaking of nails on a chalkboard. I hate that shit. Uh, <laughs> and there's too much of that in R&B records. And, you know, it's yeah. been like that for years and years and years now. It's like this sort of uh, we're we're hanging out or we have, uh, you know, soul soul Aquarian things to say from from the uh, you know the the outer regions of our minds, and you know, floating out in in in, in the floating uh, marshmallow. And I'm just like, fuck you. Uh, I I, re I really don't like that stuff. So that's that still sticks with me. Uh, I said it a few weeks ago, and I'll say it now. Yeah, yeah. No. Number seven. My most probably my most surprising pick: Paul Simon and his album. Yes, that Paul Simon. And his album of this year, Seven Psalms, and it is what you imagine it is. It's seven songs, but put together in one long suite. And it's really what it is. It's stripped down acoustic folk music with minimal accompaniments. You have a few drum brushes here, maybe a keyboard there, a violin echoing in the background there. But it's Paul Simon doing some of the some of his sparsest darkest most haunting music of his career it's unlike anything he's ever done before you would really have to go back to like pre-sounds of silence when it's just paul simon and an acoustic guitar to hear something similar to what he's doing now but what makes this album resonate is how dark and i don't want to say apocalyptic but it comes pretty darn close to it except especially with a track like trail of volcanoes yeah when he's writing about like you know trails of dead bodies and carcasses on the road i mean jesus paul what the hell yeah um he, his, his paul simon is not known for these kinds of lyrics no but uh but he but he brings it here it's very evocative it's haunting and it really grows on you the more and more you listen to it it's it's one of the most unique albums of the man's career and it's a true late career standout i really like it a lot yeah, this album's growing on me too. I mean, I, I'll admit I originally had an aversion to it and avoided it for a while because the idea of Paul Simon in his 80s doing a kind of a conceptual folk thing yeah. and evoking the Psalms, it yeah. just really wasn't that appealing. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, go away, Paul. You know, nobody cares. But 
you listen to it and uh seven psalms is a really intelligent title for it because it kind of yeah. does mirror the spirit of the psalms yeah. you've got you've got lament you've got celebration you've got spiritual devotion you've got wisdom and ultimately you do have meditation and that's what he's going for and and it's you know the the style of music the sort of stripped down folk with uh with interesting rhythms that you would you in your mind when you read the psalms from the bible uh, yeah. the, the kind of musical accompany that you, you might imagine would work for some of those uh, you know, maybe not some of the longer ones, but like some of the shorter Psalms, you would think that, that, you know, this kind of musical style might work for those. And so that's very, very smart on his part. And, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, we should expect Paul Simon's going to do smart music. He's been doing it since 1963, you know, 64. Yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's pretty good. It's going to grow on me at, uh, he should have just done it as a seven track album. I, I don't necessarily see you know why doing it as as a suite uh yeah. or as, as a 33 minute long track i mean un unless it's meant to be performed live that way i mean i mean unless he's got a uh, like a one-man show in mind and if he wanted to do the box set uh, he could always do 150 psalms you know? <laughs> you know he can cover that you know there's 150 psalms in the bible so he could cover the whole gamut you know, uh, and and he could do that. And so, you know, he he, he can go tour and do 152 minute long songs. Uh, so good stuff. Well, get them together with King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. And maybe that'll be their project. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say, yeah, that that that'll be like the wackiest record of all time, baby. <laughs> wow. All right. Num my, my number six album is one we already spoke about. Laurel meets the obsolete Datura. So I won't say much. I won't say anything because I already spoke about it. Okay, go on. Number five, The Men with New York City. Now, The Men are a Brooklyn, New York band. They've been around for a long time. When they started out in the late noughties, early teens, basically what they were is that they were just really noisy post-punk uh, with strong shades of industrial and even slight hints of industrial metal. Then they segued into just groovy barroom rock that's kind of like a hybrid of Tom Petty, The Replacements, and like early R.E.M. Yes, I know. They did go there. They, they went there. Then by the end of the decade and going into 2020, they went into like Birdsian pastoral folk rock even without the jingle, without the jingle jangle, of course. Yeah. But on this album, they go back to rocking out. Basically, it's mid-70s New York City CBGB's raw, feral punk rock merged with late 1980s Seattle sub-pop label raw, feral grunge. Grunge punk, punk grunge, whatever you want to call it, mash it up. That's what the men do on this record, and they do it great. Yes, they do. Uh, this is the second most exciting rock record of, of uh, 2023. It was weird. Yeah, I uh, I heard Laurel Canyon and New York City for the first time on the same day. Yeah, uh, <laughs> man, that was a good day. Uh, yeah, I'm telling you, yeah, you're, you're right. The men, uh, you know, they, they started off kind of sort of like this and that they, they yeah. were they rock balls and then they didn't. Now they're they're, they're back again. They should keep rocking balls because that's what they do best. Uh <laughs> I was really impressed with this record. And, and you're right. There's a lot of chuggalugga and boom, boom, boom uh, yeah. going on here. And it's very, very, very CBGBs. And it's very, very, you know, New York City is a perfect title for it because it, it comes out of all of that. You know, think of 
yeah, they've got that grunge heaviness, but it, it really is just like, you know, wire, uh, uh, television, uh, Ramones in some, in some respects. And it is very just, Ramones, more yeah. Ramones than television for sure. Yeah. And I'm saying, but, it, but it kind of gets back to that scene. And it mm. kind of gets back to that, uh, yeah, you know, the sort of the, the ba- you know, the the bash out ethos of St. Mark's yeah. Place, right. uh, you know, the old St. Mark's Place, not the gentrified one. Uh, right. Yeah, it was in the middle of being gentrified when Arturo and I lived there 25 years ago, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, we're, you know, great record. I, I had it at number 13 mm. uh, on my list. I just thought that, uh, you know, the records ahead of it uh, resonated with me more. Uh but yeah, char- charmingly, awesomely rock and balls kind of record. Right. My number four album, Squirrel Flower, and their album Tomorrow's Fire. Ella Williams, a Boston-based singer-songwriter. This is an album, what I would call, if Boy Genius actually rocked, it would sound like <laughs> this. <laughs> uh, uh, basically, she writes really affecting breakup songs but with really intellectual insight and musically she's really aggressive but yet tasteful with her aggression with when a plant is dying she channels neil young and crazy horse and it gives it it kind of like give, renews it and it's more more invigorating than anything neil young has done in the last 20 years she has a song there called Alley Light, which is it's basically country flavored rock, but it's a better country song than most than what most country artists do today. Um, you have a really, a really sharp indie pop with In the Skate Park. Um, it's, just, it's just really full of chalk, full of great songs, really well written, really well conceived, really well executed. It's it's a lot of I mean, it's a lot of what a lot of uh, a lot of indie artists today are doing that that sensitive singer songwriter confessional stuff with a little bit of indie rock angst. But this is this is that but pumped up on steroids, and that's what I like about it. Go drugs, go squirrel flower. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess you can say go drugs, and I like your your description. Tasteful aggression, uh, I can yeah. see it. This album doesn't really do it for me. I mean, I'm kind of lukewarm on it. Uh, it's a little too late 90s Palooza. Uh, you know, I know we covered, what was it, last episode, we covered both this record and Blanchel, and they're kind of mining the same territory. Uh, d- this lady is is a better songwriter than than Blanchel, and I think this is pr- um, probably a little slightly better. I go back and forth between the two, but they're just kind of like, you know, it's, hey, it's it's the Julianne or Hatfield revival. And yeah, yeah, but she but she rocks a little harder than Juliana Hatfield. Yeah, and it's it maybe heavier. the okay, the Liz Fair revival, I guess maybe yeah. is is more fair. But it's just like I wasn't all that huge into that stuff back then. Uh and so I guess I'm I'm lukewarm on it only because it's not really totally my thing. And maybe uh to be fair, I've only given it a couple listens. Maybe if I spend time with it, uh uh, your your number one for what it's worth is one of those records that once I spend time with it, it'll it'll grow on me. So if I give it a more of a fair chance, maybe it'll grow on me. But right now, I'm just sort of lukewarm on it based on it's just kind of I don't know. Just uh, it, there's there's a certain dullness to hey, remember the late '90s for me. You know, yeah. I don't know. That's how I feel about Rats Oh God. <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, mm-hmm. my number three album, Margot Silker. Valley of Hearts Delight. Um, this is 
straight up country. Make no mistake, it's I think the, the best country album of the year. She's been classified in the med- in music media as alt country, alternative country. No, she ain't alt. Ain't nothing old about her. No, no, no. She's straight up country, and she has some doozies of some songs. She can be funny. She can be sad. She can be emotionally forthright. She can be um, insouciant. She can be direct. She can be pissed off. She can be whatever mood you want her to be, and she does it well. And she does it, yes, she does it within a traditional country framework, but she's eclectic in the different country stylings. Yeah, she does like you know Lucinda Williams, you know a uh, um, um, gut bucket barroom country. She does bluegrass. She does the more uh, the the more the, I don't I don't want to say lightweight, but 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 the more the, the more sensitive, light touched Dolly Parton style country. Yeah, she does she does Amy it Lou. all. Yeah. Emmy Lou Harris as well. The, the the you know the the love lorn, um, you know heart dripping out of your pores kind of stuff that Emmy Lou mm-hmm. did or does. Uh, Margot Silker does all of that really well. Stand standout tracks like I remember Carolina, Beggar for Your Love, Keep It on a Burner, which sounds more like the band than anything yeah. else. Yeah, but I it's agree. still really good. And the very last track, all tied together, which is. I mean, if 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 if, if you if, if you can't if you can't feel any kind of emotional response to that, then your heart's made of stone. It's a great record. It's one of my favorites. It's easily my number three album of the year. Yeah, for me, it comes in at number eleven. Uh, I decided to go with Boy Genius just because of you know I, again I think the Lucy da- uh, Lucy Dacus thing uh, definitely. Uh, I, it was more sort of a public service uh, spirit that put that over yeah. it. But uh, Silker, uh, one word, authenticity. Uh, yes. in spades and she's from northern california and right. there is a very california vibe to some of the the stuff i mean there's there's a little bit more of the band in topanga canyon than one would right. think on first listen uh yeah i like her and you know she's married to an honest to goodness cowboy uh yeah. up yeah. there up there in the pacific northwest uh just uh yeah you know i there's just really affecting stuff you know relationships with family uh you know sort of old romantic tanglements so she's got one of the better road uh travelogue songs that's come out in the last 20 years yeah on it uh just a lot a lot of fun where she she really in a meditate in a jokingly ironically meditative way she goofs on texas in a wonderful wonderful way on that song yeah uh, <laughs> by by repeating the same line like what eight nine times it's just uh right. it's just a lot of fun so yeah, you know she's she's going to be a niche. I think she's content to kind of have this uh, this narrow lane and kind of have cult status. I don't see her uh, right. growing growing beyond where she's at now. But there's yeah. going to be those of us who keep our ears close enough to the ground that will always admire her. She'll always have an audience. She'll always be able to you know tour a little bit, make a few bucks, uh, right. but a few bucks. But uh, she's. Yeah. It's the authenticity, you know, she, she is who she is. And, you know, the, there's the, the grand ambition is only in the songwriting and the singing. It's not, uh, there's no star turns there. And so, you know, she, you know, she's keeping it real and keeping it real and does not go wrong with Margot Silker. Right. Absolutely. My number two album 
of the year. We already spoke about it. Laurel Canyon and their self-titled debut album. I won't say anything because, well, we already spoke about it. So this brings me to my number one album of 2023. It is Mitski with The Land is Inhospitable and So Are We. This album has gotten a lot of critical attention and it's been on a lot of people's best of year-end lists. Here's my take on it. Mitski, when she first started out, honestly, I've never been a fan of her music at all up until this album. At all. <laughs> uh, when she started out, basically what she was, was this kind of, you know, uh, singer, songwriter, indie folk with a little bit of indie rock every now and then, like plugging in the guitar and rocking out. But those instances of rocking out paled in comparison to the instances of her just over-emoting and whining and moping about her broken heart all the freaking time in the most continuously slow possible way. <laughs> uh, she got out of that a little bit in 2022 when an album called Laurel Hell, which was atrocious, it's just it's just this hybrid of 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 basically electronica and Broadway musical, yeah, and it's just horrid to listen. Garbage, to. hot it's garbage. Really, yeah, really. It 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 went to, it debuted at number five on the U.S. album chart only because of her following that she amassed from the previous years. True to form, this new album much much better. Only got as high as number 12. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> because of how bad the previous album was. But this album is really good. Uh, musically, she kind of strips herself down to just basically roughly an amalgam of, of traditional country and folk music, but done Mitski style, meaning there are a lot of arrangements, a lot of string arrangements and some orchestrations, but they're tastefully and craft tastefully done in a craftsman-like style, meaning the string arrangements don't overwhelm. They don't suffocate and smother the no. music. They get it just, they're underneath the songs. They're not on top of the songs. And yes, okay, lyrically, Mitski is still mining the same terrain. My broken heart. Oh, my heart is broken. Oh, I'm so sad. But here's what makes it different. And what separates this from other Mitski albums brevity <laughs> yep. brevity these are 11 songs none of them reach the four minute mark <laughs> okay? and, and the album is 32 minutes long and the album is 32 minutes long mitski songs just on their own they're just full of just melodramatic indulgent sentiment they're so there's they're so indulgent in their sentimentality, I want to say, and so melodramatic that a song that's five minutes long or more is a little too much to take in. It's just putting way too much sugar in your in your bowl, way way too way too many calories in your ice cream, whatever whatever apt uh, comparison you want to make. But these songs are brief. They're in. They come. They're out. And that's what makes them last longer, ironically enough. That's what makes yeah. you remember them more. She's not hitting you over the head with her sentimentality. They are sentimental. They are sad. They're all these sad breakup, I, you know, I'm brokenhearted kind of songs. But they don't, they don't linger too long. They come and they go. And that's what makes you remember them more. And that's what makes, and, and that's really is what makes it just 
tasteful. <laughs> it makes it more yeah. tasteful. And uh, there are some beautiful tracks on here. Um, Buffalo Replaced is yeah. the closest she comes to like kind of an alternative rock sound. Um, the other great songs, Heaven is Beautiful, Bug Like an Angel is really good. Um, she has some really nice country tracks that are very reminiscent, oddly enough, of Patsy Cline from way, way long ago. You know, songs like My Love All Mine and and uh, there's another one there called uh, The Deal, which is really good. It's just some really good stuff all around. She plays with tempo shifts and time signatures and, I guess, prog rockish multi-section songs. But they don't go more than three and a half minutes like The Deal does, which is what I like about it. She keeps it. She 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 she, she she's disciplined which is what she's never been before. And uh, hopefully this is the beginning of a new chapter in her career in which her music is actually listenable. And But this album is very, very listenable. It's actually lovely. And, 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 it's, and it's really well rendered. Uh, she has a good team of musicians around her and a good producer to really hone her and tone her indulgent tendencies down. And it's why it's my, it's my favorite album of the year. And I think it's one of the top five albums of the decade so far. Yeah. Frankly, I'm shocked that that Miski comes in at number one ahead of Laurel Canyon because, yeah. you know, your your enthusiasm for yeah. Laurel Canyon was 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 almost orgasmic when, yeah. when it first came out. So I really for Mitski to come ahead of Laurel Canyon must mean that that, that really resonated with you. And uh I got to admit, it's starting to grow on me. Uh, I have, you know, kind of like you, I had an aversion to Mitski. But uh, here you get a Japanese-American artsy-fartsy that finds her 1974 John Lennon. And, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, finds her 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 country ballad ear. And the, the heartbreak on this album is palpable. I mean, there's a real emotional depth, uh, you know, and I think it's the brevity that brings it out. It's, it's the, the brevity, it's, right? If it's the songs the brevity, were longer, yeah. if the songs were longer, she'd be like pile driving yeah. you over the head with it. She doesn't do that here. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a there's a fine line uh, between poignant and insufferable, yeah. and she walks it really, really well. There's a poignancy and a depth uh, to this record that's surprising. Again, you know, I, I need to spend more time with it uh, to kind of loop back around to a point that we made uh, at the beginning of this episode, you know, that uh, top 10 lists are a moment in time uh, where I am right now. It's Zach Bryan and Jason Isbell. Uh, talk to me in a year. I have a feeling this Mitski record might not ascend to those heights, but it'll be pretty damn close. Uh you know, the more time you spend with a record like this, the more it grows on you. And that's starting to happen uh, for me. So uh, so basically, it's like your list is like two months ahead of mine <laughs> or, or th three months ahead of mine, because, you know, Margo Silker uh, almost made my list, too. So it's uh, yeah, th this was a, this was an interesting year. You know, it not a lot of depth. There was a whole lot of pretty good. There was a whole lot of mediocre and a whole lot of lousy. Uh, but uh, as our lists proved, there were some gems. Uh, 2023, not a lot of monoculture left, uh, not a lot of shared experience. And there's not a lot of these albums that catch wildfire anymore. And if they do, like uh, like Arturo said, it's it's in that pop entertainment sort of uh, going right. viral sense that, you know, uh, here today, gone tomorrow, like literally here today, gone yeah. tomorrow. 
But some of these are going to last. Uh, Laurel Canyon's going to last. Uh, uh, Mitski will probably last. For me, Zach Bryan uh, will last. Uh, even the Laurel meets the obsolete record is something that I may find myself coming back to. Uh, you know, and we'll see. And, you know, last year, again, MJ Lenderman was the one that kept coming back. Uh, and who knows? Mitski might be that album uh, this year. But that's that's the beauty of, of top 10 lists. They're a public service, but they're a moment in time. And, uh, folks, we hope you enjoyed our moment in time here. Uh, any final thoughts about these lists? Uh, and yes. any any sort of overarching thoughts about 2023, Arturo? Yes, Mitski had a genuine pop hit from this album. Yes, she did. Yes, the song uh, My Love, Mine, All Mine went to number 26 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Okay, yep. number eight in the U.K. singles chart. Believe it, check that out. And it went top 10 in a few other countries, number eight in Ireland, three in Indonesia, 19 in Australia, 17 Canada. Uh, Where else? Uh, uh, UK Indy, number one. That doesn't say anything. Number four in the Philippines. How about that? Yeah. Well, well, here's the beautiful thing about rock and roll, folks, is that uh, our our podcast is branded as being for you, the fellow rock geek iconoclast. And here are number... Uh, one albums each have a top 10 hit <laughs> yeah. or, 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 or a top of top, top of the charts hit, hit. Yeah, big or a big hit. hit. Yeah. yeah or, it, or it, have... basically, it basically the Mitski song got success on TikTok yep. and then from TikTok it went to the charts after that. Yeah. But that's how it happens these days. Yeah. I mean, which is weird. I mean, you know, like right now, uh, Brenda Lee, uh, is yeah. is the kind of the Christmas? She's kind of the the she's in her eighties and she's like the, yeah. the chick of the moment. Uh, and I mean that colloquially, uh, because like uh, her rocking around the Christmas tree is bigger than all I want for Christmas is you. Thank God, because I I'm right. just so tired of you know. Hey, you know Mariah Carey gets her million dollars every year yeah. <laughs> from that, but I was getting tired of it. It just kind of shows you that this culture is so fleeting, and so right. uh, you know very few things go monoculture and very few things last. But I have a feeling that Mitski and Zach Bryan may last. Uh, yeah. And so that's the beautiful thing about it. And so we go off brand, but not really, Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so so that's kind of cool. And so uh, with that said, folks, uh, first off, happy holidays and uh, happy new year. Uh, this is our last uh, episode of uh, 2023. So uh, be sure to visit us and uh, be part of the Mer- Mirth and Merriment on our curmudgeonly community page on Facebook. Uh, Paul Margic continues to be a, a powerful contributor up there thank you paul uh visit us there at facebook.com slash groups slash curmudgeon rock arturo's due to hit us with 1997 next on his tour of greatest studio albums uh looking forward to that one because that was a great year uh otherwise uh hit us up uh if you have any thoughts about these lists or if you have a number one tell us what your number one record was at curmudgeon rock at gmail.com and uh, here is a public service or a, 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 an actual news announcement. Uh, we are going to fade away into the great uh, unknown or the great good night on, on Twitter or X or whatever what you want to call it. It just uh, it's just not sustainable morally anymore, uh, given. Yeah, I, I am a First Amendment absolutist. Uh, and so, yeah, there is a plat- there is a need in America to have a platform for garbage. But we don't have to be a part of it. We don't have to endorse it. That's the beauty of the First Amendment. And so-